All right. Good morning, everybody. And it is a joy and honor for me to be here and share the Word of God with you. Before I start, I just want to thank you all for your prayers. I am feeling like 95%. And so praise the Lord for that. And here I am very excited, so excited to share the Word of God with you that I came up a little early before. So I apologize for that as well. And so let's start uh, this time with a prayer. Lord, as your word is read, give us the spirit to understand. Grant us the faith to obey and to follow your will. To the praise of your glorious name. Amen. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 11. We'll be going through verses 8 through 22. Hebrews chapter 11, 8 through 22. If you have a pew Bible, you can find it on page 947, Hebrews chapter 11, 8 through 22. And when you have found it, please rise for the reading of God's word. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. As he went out, not knowing where he was going, By faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland if they had been thinking of the land of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as, but as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. We continue on in chapter 11 of Hebrews. In chapter 11 of Hebrews, what the author is laying out for us are the exemplars of faith, the hall of fame of faith, so to speak. These are exemplars of faith, not just to provide examples, but they're provided for us to be examples for us 
in our own faith as well. So when we read people like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the author is mentioning it to us so that we also would see them as examples for us to follow. Exemplars are people who are worthy to be imitated. <clears throat> when I was a, a wee young lad, I liked the baseball team, the Mets, a lot. The Mets were my favorite team, which made me sad because my grandpa's favorite team were the Yankees. And But, um, you know, I followed the Mets. But there was a hero, that, a baseball hero that I did follow, and I loved this uh, hero of mine, and his name was Don Mattingly. Don Mattingly was actually a Yankee, but I loved how he hit, and I, when I looked at him play and watched him play, 1987, it's when he made the world record of Grand Slams. So he hit six Grand Slams in one season that year. Man, I, I sought his baseball cards. I really enjoyed watching him play. And for me, you can hit home runs all the day long, right? Home runs are, are, are excellent, you know. You hit and you make a run at the same time. If there's anybody else on base, you score extra for your own team. Grand slams, are, for me, were another level as a kid growing up. That means the bases are loaded, there's immense pressure, and in that pressure, you didn't fall, you actually came through, and then, you know, you drove every single one of those runs on the bases home. His final one was especially memorable because, you know, you know what, let me just hit it. <clears throat> you know, he's just going to swing as hard as he can. And his final, uh, his sixth Grand Slam actually went to the, the third deck of Yankee Stadium. That's how far he hit it. And so when I would be playing baseball with my friends, who would I try to imitate? I would try to imitate my baseball hero. I would try to imitate Don Mattingly. I'd try to imitate how he swung. Even though he's a lefty, sometimes, even though I'm a righty, I would try to swing lefty just because I wanted to imitate him so much. To me, he's not in the Hall of Fame. He's not in Cooperstown, but he is... You know, up for contention. His, his career was cut short, and there's all these things. But um, to me, he was a hero that I wanted to imitate because I like playing baseball, and there was someone who was really good at baseball that I could look up to. Exemplars are people that you would see that are excellent, that are standout, Hall of Fame quality that were being shown in the Bible, not just so that we can ooh and ah over them, but also so we can imitate them. And so when we go through these people, these heroes of the faith in chapter 11, it's not just so that we can ooh and ah. It's also so that we can look, watch, learn, grow, and follow. And so the special part about this passage in chapter 11 is that the writer devotes the most space in chapter 11 to this one particular character, and that's Abraham. Abraham gets more space than any other exemplars of the faith. And if you've been reading and you've been following, it's for good reason. And in our church, we go verse by verse. We try to exegete what the passage is saying, meaning we want to show you what the author is trying to convey to you, what the Bible is saying. And so one of the things that we, see, we try to do is go verse by verse, and I try to explain what each verse means. And so this is what we'll do today as well. 
By faith, it says in verse 8, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, he went out not knowing where he was going. <clears throat> if you look at Genesis chapter 12, it says, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make, you, make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you. I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And from verse 4, it just says, Abraham went. That's what it says. Abraham went as the Lord had told him. So in verse 8, what are we being shown here? What is the character of faith that we are to see and then emulate? Faith is active obedience to the word of God. Faith is active obedience to the word of God. Abraham received the word of God and then he went. Faith is what made him do that. So faith is active obedience to the word of God. And understanding where Abraham was coming from, he had to leave everything. He had to leave what he was comfortable with. He had to leave his land, his family, his friends, his inheritance, all that he knew. He didn't even know where he was going. A lot of you, when you had to move or go to another town, maybe for college or for work or for family, whatever the case is, you at least knew where you were going to end up. You at least knew the destination. And even then, I bet you it was difficult. Right? My wife, when she got married to me, had to move and uproot herself from Queens and come all the way to Jersey, a strange land. Right? And then when she came here, she didn't have any friends. She didn't know anybody. And so there, there was uh, a period that she had a difficult time trying to adjust. But even though it was difficult, she at least knew the destination. She knew the purpose. He had to leave everything. He didn't even know where he was going exactly. He had to leave the land of Ur, which was in Iraq, west, uh, east Iraq, very close to Iran, south of Baghdad, of today's Baghdad. And he had to go all the way through Babylon. He had to go all the way following the Euphrates River, all the way up and then down to the land of Canaan. All this traversing, all this traveling, leaving everything. Strange land, uncertain future, but he relied on the promises of God. It shows us that it takes courage to live out your faith. People of faith require courage. Not knowing where you're going meant that he had to trust in the word of God. Absolutely. There was nothing else, no other evidences that he could have used, no other like compasses or guides they could have used. He only had, to, he only had the word of God that he had to trust in for his future. And because he placed his faith in the word of God, he set out from Ur to an unknown place. Verse 9 and 10, By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. What is the next character of faith that we are being shown? First, faith is showing us that it requires active obedience to the word of God. That's what faith is. If you say you have faith, 
You have active obedience to the Word of God. Number two, it's through faith and by faith you can hold on to the promise of God. The promise is mentioned twice in verse 9 for emphasis. And so the land of Canaan was thought to be the promised land, but also it was a foreign land. Faith, then, what that means here. So a lot of people that were reading the Old Testament, if you went through Exodus with us and even Genesis with us, The promised land you would think of only as Israel. But here, the author of Hebrews is showing us something in addition to that. The land of Canaan, or Israel, right, was the promised land, but also, it says here, a foreign land. What does that mean? It's the promised land, but also a foreign land. That means faith showed Abraham that the land of Canaan was not the final or in the ultimate sense the promised land. Not in the final or ultimate sense is the land of Canaan the promised land. The author is saying right here, it's a foreign land. That means it's not his land, even though it was part of the process. By faith, God showed him that, meaning he lived in tents, signifying that Even in the land of Canaan, he was a stranger. He was a sojourner. So people of faith, also understanding this characteristic, realize that we are pilgrims. We are sojourners whose goal is ahead of them. We too, in a sense, are awaiting in tents, holding on to the promise of an eternal home. Tents by its nature are temporary and impermanent, And depending on the situation, whatever the situation demanded, whether it's the threat of war, you know, famine, the lack of water, you have to pick up, uproot, and move from place to place. Now, what he was looking for was a city with foundations, it says in verse 10. That meant there would be situations that he wouldn't have to, or situations that wouldn't demand that you uproot and move. The foundations would be set and the city would be in stability because it is God who is the architect and the builder. So not only fixed and settled, but if you look at the language here, foundation would imply order and administration. It's not just that you have foundations physically, but to have foundations meant the city would have had order and administrations. Even today, cities may have a fixed location, but without order or administration, that city won't last for long. Just a few days ago, you might have seen it on the news, uh, there was a Twitch streamer. If you don't know what that is, that's fine. But there was someone on the internet that decided to do a giveaway. So this Twitch streamer announced the giveaway, and if you wanted to come, he would offer like, PlayStation 5s and all these other, you know, doohickeys, right? Uh, And then you would have to come to Union Square. People heard of this, and thousands of people gathered in Union Square. Thousands of people gathered. And then people started stomping on cars. They started destroying property. They started hurting each other. Fights broke out. It led to a huge riot. There weren't enough police officers to even contain it, even though they wanted to support this giveaway. Police officers got hurt. 
What we understand is even if you have a physical foundation or location, what's implied here is if God is the architect, God is the designer, and God is the builder, then there is going to be order and administration in the city. The designer being God points not only his creativity, that means it points to his wisdom. And the builder being God points to his power and ability to execute what has been planned. That's what Abraham was looking for. That's what Abraham wanted. Why did he want that? What dictated his desire? It was faith. Faith made him recognize that he really wanted a city with foundations. Verse 11. By faith, Sarah received, herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him good, as good as dead were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. We learned that faith is active obedience. Faith lets you hold on to the promise. And the third example of faith is that Sarah received the power to conceive when she was sterile. She was barren for most of her life. And she was way past the childbearing age. She was 90. And it says Abraham was so old that his body was as good as dead. There was no way he could have had the sexual functionality with the body that he had at 100 years old. But in spite of those circumstances, this wasn't only an improbability. This was a physical impossibility that they would have a child. They understood this. In Genesis 18, it says, Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of woman had ceased to be with Sarah. That means she was not only sterile, but way past that age. That means she already had menopause. She's done. She's gone way past that. So in verse 12, it says, So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? Meaning, will she be able to go through the functions of a young person to have a baby? The author's focus here isn't Sarah's laughter, but on the faith that she had. And it wasn't necessarily the quality of faith, but it was the object of her faith that is being pointed out. So the third example shows us that faith understands that the one who promised is faithful. When you receive a promise... As a child of God, what gives you assurance? Faith. The faith is that the one who promised is faithful. Now there is an insertion after that. I find this all very intriguing. If we continue to study it, we could go on for a bit here. But there is an insertion. Now we're telling Abraham's story. And he's devoting the most time he has to anybody else. So this is so important that he takes up that much space. But in the middle of his story, from verses 13 to 16, he puts an insertion. Now he's exegeting, and then all of a sudden from verses 13 to 16, he starts putting in his commentary in the middle of the exegesis. It's abrupt, and the reason why it's abrupt, I believe, is it should catch you by surprise, and it was meant to be. It should catch you off guard, like, whoa. What is this going on here? And so I'm talking about Abraham, but all of a sudden I'm going to stop because that's exactly what the author does. 
And verse 13, it says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Again, this insertion starts out with the emphasis of the eschatological nature of faith. And what I mean by eschatological isn't simply, and this is so important for us to understand, isn't simply that if you're a Christian, you're like, I'm going to go to heaven when I die. That's not the eschatological significance of this passage. And that's what, ex, ex, um, excuse me, that's, what, that's not what ex, <clears throat> eschatology means. Eschatology is the consummation of all things. That means it's all the fulfillments of promises that come. Here on earth, yes, and in the life to come, yes, but all the promises that God has given His people, His children, they will be consummated. That's eschatology. And then you see these things from an eschatological perspective as people of faith. That's what these people had. That's what he's inserting here. If you look at every single thing they did in faith, look at what motivated them, what girded, what gave them wings behind their actions, the winds that gave them movement. What was it? Is they had an eschatological nature about their faith. So what were the promises given to Abraham? Possession of land? The founding of a great nation? The blessing of all the people of the earth because of Abraham's descendants? The descendants themselves being as numerous as the stars in the sky and innumerable as the grains of the sand and the beaches of the earth? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the great patriarchs, did not receive any of these things when we read Genesis. They didn't get possession of the land. They didn't find the great nation. They didn't found the great nation. And not all the peoples of the earth were blessed. They didn't see all of that. But it says here, not even death put the promises of God into question for them. That was their faith. If this sounds spectacular, it's supposed to be. These are spectacular heroes of the faith. Verse 14, for people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. Sojourners, exiles, pilgrims, all these words, what they're showing us, that these are people who eagerly waited for the heavenly city. The God-designed, the God-built city. Because that's the home that God has invited them to. And they believed in the word of God. Saying, if you follow me, I have a place for you in my home. Jesus says, I am going back to build a place for you in my father's house. The people of faith understand that. And then your faith doesn't just become, when I die, I go to heaven. Everything that you do now here on earth revolves around this eschatological nature of the faith, meaning you are awaiting the consummation of all things, and that leads you to obedience, action, and how you live your life. Verse 15, 
If they had been thinking of the land from which they had gone out, they would have opportunity, have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Once they reached Canaan, the land of Canaan, they were actually very rich. If you look at Abraham's story, he was rich, the richest prince there in the whole land, right? And this is what they recognized. No one even messed with them after a while because he was that rich. And people, when they, when they attacked Lot, he would take 300 men and like, get them back. That's how strong he was as well. If you are that rich and you're like, here I am, living in tents, very uncomfortable, there are no roots or foundations, you could have easily gone back. Easily gone back. Wouldn't you do that? Even if, let's say, let's say you left the place because the opportunities weren't there, you know, there was no job in the place that you had, so you had to move to, you know, the tri-state area because the jobs are there. But if you, imagine you had all this money in the world. You made it. You did it. And you wanted to go back to your hometown. You could do it. What would stop you from doing that? Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. But if you read this passage, that's exactly where they were. They could have gone back, but they didn't. They had everything that they wanted and more. They were richer than anybody else in the land. They could have gone back heroes in Ur. But they, even though they had the ability to return if they desired, they could have settled back to the great city of Ur and made it even greater with their own name, planted roots there, they didn't go back. Why? Because of their faith. They knew what God had promised. And even though they were success successful in the world's eyes, they still held on to the promises of God. This is a lesson for us, isn't it? A lot of us, when we are desperate, when we are in pain, in anguish, maybe it's even a result of sin, because of sin, we go through hardships and trials and pain and suffering as well. And we go back and we ask God, please help me through this trial. Help me through the tribulations of life, of suffering. Heal me, have mercy on me, forgive me of my sins. And let's say God does because he's a good God. What happens a lot of times for us? Don't we go right back? To sinning we go right back into the mud into the muck and mire this is a lesson for us even though God will supply you and give you and even more than you could have imagined are you going to go back or will you still hold on to the faith and your vision is not back to where God called you out of but into the future where he's calling you to, saying, follow me. That's why the patriarchs, they desired redemption. When they're desiring a better country, what they're really desiring is redemption. This is why it says that God is not ashamed to be called the God of Abraham, Isaac, 
and of Jacob. That's how great their faith was. So when we call out to the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, this is one of the titles that we have given God throughout the thousands of years. And it says here, he's not ashamed to be called that because these are great people of faith that we ought to recognize and follow. And Christians today can easily lose sight of this. All our work and effort is not based on faith. You don't work in accordance to faith, meaning the eschatological nature of the faith that God wants you to have, but you work and sweat and even bleed for the things here on this earth and only for the things here on this earth. You work day and night because you're looking forward to what? To buying a house. You're working so hard so that you could pay for the house. So you get a car, maybe three cars. So you can eat nice food and put it on your social media and etc. But the people of faith are reminded here that we are ultimately sojourners. And while our existence presently here is on this earth, our citizenship, this is what it means, our citizenship is in heaven. We are citizens of heaven. Our permanent address is in the city with permanent foundations designed and built by God. That's the commentary he puts in. That's a really important one. Verse 17 to 19. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By leaving Ur, Abraham was called to leave his past. It's a very difficult thing like we talked about. But by offering Isaac, by offering up Isaac, Abraham is being called to give up his future. There were different child sacrifices back in the day. It's very, people are like, why would God ask Abraham Abraham to mimic the things that he found detestable. And we saw in the Mosaic Law, God, find, God finds human sacrifices, especially child sacrifices to like Molech and killing of children, absolutely detestable. So why would God do that? And this has confused so many people. People have come up with their own theories and notions. He doesn't exactly explain it here either. But you can see there are some differences that are notable than the other child sacrifices of then and now. Meaning we still do child sacrifices now. But this one was different. When you kill a child, offer him up in a sacrifice or her, you kill the child to preserve the status quo or to receive blessing. That's why they do it. It's for a blessing. I want nothing to stand in the way of blessing, and so you kill your child. Or to preserve the status quo, I don't want harm to come my way, so let me offer up this child. That's what the child sacrifices are for. But if you look at the passage, it's not the case with Abraham. Genesis chapter 22. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. 
He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering, one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. He was just told to give up Isaac. There were no stipulations. You do this and I will bless you. You don't do this, I'm going to curse you. There were no stipulations. He just said, offer up your son Isaac. Your only son, the son whom you love. He was just told to give Isaac up, surrender his future. Now the language here is significant and it's repeated in purpose. Your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. To Abraham, he left his past, so he has nothing in his past. So Isaac was his future, but not only that, that was all he had. If Isaac's gone, he has nothing, absolutely nothing. He is bereft. He is done. His future was his everything. He had nothing because he already left his past. And now God is telling him to not just give up his past, but his future as well. God is telling him to give up everything. And now this seems to contradict everything that he knew about God's character, God's affection toward him, his faithfulness, his kindness. But it seems as we read that Abraham intuitively understood that faithfulness, loyalty, allegiance to God must extend and it must supersede every area of his life, even his family ties. Jesus says something similar when he was here on this earth, saying to follow me, you have to hate your father and mother, brother and sister. Now, after people have meditated on this story, there is a Jewish or Hebrew prayer in tradition because of what had developed. I'm going to read you this prayer. It says, Now I pray for mercy before you, O Lord God, that when the children of Isaac come to a time of distress, you may remember in their behalf the binding of Isaac their father and loose and forgive their sins and deliver them from all distress. So there's a prayer that comes forth from this rich understanding of faith that has been passed down from generation to generation. And even though at the time it was incomprehensible to Abraham as to why God would ask of him to sacrifice his son, he nonetheless complied and offered him up. And so we have this insight from the author of Hebrews that even though he didn't fully understand, Abraham believed in the promises of God. So the faith that Abraham had in God, he believed in God so staunchly, so avidly, it was so real that he knew that the promises of God had to be fulfilled through Isaac because God said so. God said, I will provide you a son, and through your son, I will make sure the blessings come through. So God said it, so his faith determined that even though I would kill him, God would raise him from the dead. And it says, which in a manner of speaking, he did. That's what faith propelled him to do. And the generations after Abraham, we also, children of Abraham, through faith, Understand that this is the faith that has been passed down to us. This is the faith that we ought to also hold. 
So we're not holding on to the things of this world so tightly that we can't let go when God is commanding us to do so and do something else. In fact, when we hold anything that's temporal, we hold it with an open palm because God has things that are better in store for us that we understand. Verse 20 to 22, By faith Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau, by faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. By invoking blessings on their children, they were still holding on to the promises of God. You have promises that God has given you. And when you pray, do you invoke those blessings on your promises? seems to me that as a matter of course, if you have faith, you would do so. Because faith is what dictated Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to continue to bless the children after them. They were holding on to the promises of God. The future was yet unseen. Nonetheless, they were confident in them. When you pray for your child, is that how you pray for them? Their faith was displayed in how they blessed their children. Their faith was displayed in their actions. Jacob, in faith, what he did was he switched hands. He went like this when he was supposed to pray for Joseph's two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. Now, Ephraim was the younger one, so Joseph would have had Ephraim on his right hand, and that would have meant it would have been Jacob's natural left hand. And Manasseh was his firstborn son, so he would have had him in his left hand. And then when he was facing Jacob, Jacob would have seen that Manasseh would be on his right side. So when you get the blessing, you would get the primary blessing from the strong hand, the right hand. But it says here, in faith, Jacob switched hands. So when Joseph brought Ephraim and Manasseh, he switched hands and blessed them this way. Joseph was like, no, 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 no. What are you doing? He was kind of annoyed. It's like, Dad. Please, I know you are hard of seeing maybe a little bit, but this is the older one. Bless the older one. And Joseph, even though he attempted to correct what he thought was a mistake, Jacob refused to change his hand placement. Why? Because he was convinced, he was convinced that God's designs are invincible and his promises will be worked out. This is what God showed Jacob through his line, who was the firstborn of Abraham. And who got blessed? Ishmael, Isaac. Who was the firstborn for Isaac? And who was blessed? Esau, Jacob. And now he has in front of him to exercise the faith that has been passed down that he saw. Now he's, he has this opportunity to bless the firstborn and second son. So he switches his hands. And it's Ephraim over Manasseh. His faith dictated how he blessed his children because this is what God has been showing him. And what he realized was, as much as we struggle, God's designs are invincible. They will come through because God is faithful and he will bless according to his will. And he, in faith, was able to submit to God's will. His final act of worship, he worshiped God, it says, by leaning on top of his staff. Now, Staff is an interesting word when we say church staff. And when I was not well, 
the church staff immediately took over because they're my staff. They're not your staff. They're my staff, meaning I lean upon them and they help me with the duties and tasks I've been given. And so I was able to lean upon my staff when I wasn't well, and they did an excellent job, which I am very grateful for. Jacob, when he was leaning on top of his staff in worship, it's signifying something. The staff to the Hebrews is a sign of pilgrimage. You need help because you are now sojourning, you're traveling. The staff is there to help you. And by worshiping God on top of the staff, like it says here in Hebrews, it is a sign of faith that he is still worshiping as a sojourner. Even at the end of his life, he had this faith that God will come and there will be a consummation of all things. And he is not there yet. But he's still going to worship God, believing in the promises of God. That's his final act of worship that we are to take note of. This faith also influences Joseph so that when he sees this act of Jacob, he also receives this faith and he also sees how it influences his actions. And his actions was he would make sure that they would carry his bones out of Egypt when they go to the land of Canaan. He would say, there will be a time when you will be, well, you have an exodus outside of Egypt and you will leave and you will go to a land that God has promised you. Make sure you take my bones. Why? Because he understood that even though Joseph achieved great prominence in the land of Egypt, he was second only to Pharaoh. No one could touch him. He was once a slave, but now he's living large. Even then, he knew that that wasn't his home. He knew that the home, even after he died, that wasn't his home. And he made sure that the Israelites would take his bones and bury them in the land that God had promised them. And they actually do. In Joshua 24, 32, it says they took and buried the bones of Joseph in the land of Canaan. This is all the things that we are seeing from the patriarchs, from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, even Joseph, that they knew of a promise that was unseen, and yet their faith dictated to them that it was assured. You could act like it was assured to you because of what God has said in his word. That's faith. All of these things are unseen. How many of us can do that? If I go, hey, why don't you come? I will pay you $100 million if you come help me with this project. The first thing people would ask me would be like, um, okay, proof? Then maybe I'll go. Unless you know the character of the person who's giving you this promise. The quality of the person giving you this promise. The essence of the person making this promise. And they knew that the one who gave them the promise wasn't just anybody. It wasn't some schmo. It was the Lord God Almighty. And this is what they were longing for. I want to go back as I end this. Now we know. They didn't see it. But we know what the foundation of the city is. 
We know what the cornerstone of the city is. We're so privileged, aren't we? If you go to Ephesians chapter 2, it says here, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. Look at the language here. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Patriarchs didn't get to see this, but they had faith. They believed. And now we see that this was absolutely true. Absolutely true. We see the foundation, the apostles and the prophets. We see the cornerstone, which is our Lord Jesus Christ. And we see that their faith wasn't for naught. It didn't fail. It didn't fall to the ground. But they were upheld. And they're upheld to us in the scriptures for us to also emulate. You also here right now have lessons that we can learn and take away from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and even Joseph. There are things unseen, but that are promised. In faith, then, how do we respond? We respond with active obedience. We respond by continually holding on to the promise. And we respond by knowing that the one who promised is faithful. That's why we do the things we do. That's why we worship the way we worship. That's why we live in accordance with the faith that God has given us. Because the one who has promised is faithful. And the redemption that they sought, we see fulfilled in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We have redemption in Jesus Christ. There is absolute certainty of our redemption because of Jesus Christ. Now, if you have this faith, what is the Bible exhorting you to do? Live according to that faith. Stop falling back thinking you could go back to Ur. Live according to the faith that God has given you and called you to. Live in obedience to the word of God, to the glory of his magnanimous and wonderful name. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the word that you give us, the exhortation that we see by looking at the faith of the patriarchs. We ask, God, that we also now, in turn, would be able to obey and follow you all our days for your glory for all eternity. Let's take this time to pray and reflect on what the word has shown us. and Perhaps the Holy Spirit is also convicting you that there are places in your life that you ought to give up to the Lord, that you are holding on tightly to, and it is all temporal. And so what are those things? And in faith, respond and obey the word of God. Let's pray.